0: That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm, Seventh Generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark, it's good for you. That is the power of Seventh Generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm gonna tell you my secret favorite candy, it's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, Salty peanut butter, the textures, I love everything about them. Also that there's two, so I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I love you, that's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold, and I am. Oh hey, it's your friend's new baby who looks kind of like a turtle, but in the best way. Allie Ward, back with another episode of Ologies. We're rounding the corner to finishing... Spooktober. And I meant for this to be the last Halloween-y episode, but guess what? I talked to this ologist for three freaking hours and I'm making it a double. So buckle up, For bats, because holy guano, it's bueno. I loved every second I spent with this expert. This episode, next week's episode, some of my favorites. Okay, but before we get into it, a few thank yous up top, including everyone on Patreon, patreon.com slash ologies, who supports the podcast. Y'all are the foundation of funding for it. Thank you to everyone wearing ologies merch from ologiesmerch.com. Thank you to all who make sure they're subscribed, who rate the podcast and keep it up in the charts. Of course, you folks who leave reviews for me to read like a weird lurking monkey so I can pick a new one each week, such as the Narn Goddess, who says, from disaster to perfection, from entropy to order, somehow this podcast encompasses the sacred, the profane, and the mundane in a way that makes us delight in every revelation. And finally, at the end of the day, we emerge from each episode, icky and radiant, like a shiny penny barfed up by a hagfish. It's absolutely delightful. As are you, the Narn Goddess. Thank you for that. Also, Rory Watts, who says imposter syndrome is super real and that they love hearing stories of queer scientists and makes their little by heart so happy. So anyway, your reviews. I read them and I love them and thank you. Okay. Now, Chiropterology. Are you ready for the best etymology maybe ever? As soon as I saw this word, I was like, well, I'm going to have to start a podcast. The word origin, I feel like it rivals pharaoh equinology, which was Iron Horses, The Study of Trains, as like the best first date, awkward dinner party, stuck in an elevator for a few hours killing time trivia ever. Okay, you ready? Probably not. But here we go. So Cairo means hand. So think a chiropractor practices with their hands. So chiro, hand, and pter, like pterodactyl, means wing. So chiroptera, bats, have hand wings. They have hand wings. The wings are made of hands. So as mammals, these little critters fly around on the floopy membranes of webbings between their long ass bony fingers. They've been haunting the night for as long as 60 million years. They make up 20% of all mammal species. There are over 1400 recognized species of bats and we will cover all of them. No, we won't. But we're going to do our best. So I heard of this ologist through a CBS Innovation Nation story I did about bat houses called Bat B and B's. And as soon as I heard his name and saw a picture of him in the 1970s with a pushbrew mustache and a headlamp feeding fruit to a megabat, I thought, I need to meet this person. I need to befriend them at all costs. And I've been like a 13-year-old girl on a mission to meet her K-pop idols. I would accept no other bat expert for this topic. So he's been working in this field for over five decades, has written several books for lay people about bats, including The Secret Lives of Bats and America's Neighborhood Bats. And I'll link those on my website and in the show notes. He has published so many academic papers on bats, I wouldn't know where to begin listing them. He has lectured all over the world. So in September, I got myself to Austin, Texas, and I headed to this ologist's home office. Okay, I'm in front of Merlin's house. Oh, huddle residence. This is so exciting. Okay, I have my hotel coffee. I'm sweating. It's a million degrees in Austin. I just, I look sweaty. So nervous. I met his wonderful wife, Paula, in the driveway. She led me in. Hi, Merlin. Title, it's Good lovely to meet you. I'm Allie Ward. This is a dream come true to talk to you about bats. I can't even tell you. <laughs> this is far from his first media appearance. This dude is America's chiropterology darling. The go-to for bat questions the world over. He's even appeared on David Letterman in 1984 because of his bat knowledge.
1: This is this bat, and you see how small he is. This bat is the one that sends thousands of otherwise mature grown brave men. Towering, running, and terror every year. I know of two cases in the last few months in Wisconsin. One man broke his leg falling downstairs, getting away from one of these guys. One broke his arm swinging a tennis racket around a door jam. Can I Sure, you can touch him. I don't want to hold him. No, you got to
0: admit (laughs) So I winged it. Oh, I was nervous. We talked for three hours. So this episode is broken into two weeks and we cover. What is a bat? How big are they? How small are they? Will they attack you? Why are people so scared of them? How do they evolve to fly? How do they sleep upside down? How scary are caves? Which ones guzzle blood? How do they protect us from mosquitoes? can you train a bat? Why are they so cute? What's the deal with guano, the latest on white nose syndrome, which is not a drug problem? What is the best time and place to see bats? And how can you help bats by letting them crash in your place? Kind of. So hang tight for part one and get ready to have a new favorite bat expert with conservationist, explorer, icon, national treasure, and chiropterologist Dr. Merlin Tuttle. People uh, address you as Dr. Bat ever?
1: No, but there are a lot of people on this planet who know me only as the Batman.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a bad. That's not a bad nickname to have. It's pretty when heroic. I was
1: working years ago studying bats in the backwoods of Tennessee, the hillbilly moonshiners were always watching out for revenuers. And when I would drive into the final hollow where they had their moonshine, which I pretended not to know where it was. Uh, en route to my bat caves, I would hear them yell across the hollow to each other, "The Batman's are coming! <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think they ever knew my real name. <laughs>
0: well, that's pretty appropriate then.
1: <laughs> but it was funny, you know. These guys, they they had a code of ethics uh, among themselves that was very strict. You know, you turn in a a fellow to. To the revenues or something and you deserve to die on the spot it was these weren't these were tough guys yeah but they the moment i started studying bats in a cave near where they were making moonshine they were down trying to figure out who i was and what i was doing and i welcomed them and showed them how i put bands on the bats and explained that some of them are coming all the way from florida to the virginia tennessee border to go hibernate in that cave And uh, they were so excited, they ended up bringing their wives down to see me ban bats the next night. Uh And I ended up being really good friends with them. And the next winter, as I was still coming every 10 days to trap at the entrance, I was sleeping out in my car, and uh, they became very concerned. You know, I shouldn't be out there in the snowy cold and so they started inviting me to come. They, they, they're they very poor. The home that they had was so poor that if you, they said, we couldn't more than three of us go in the kitchen at the same time or the floor might fall in. Oh. And uh, <clears throat> I stayed with them a few nights, but then I realized that Hugh Kyle, the primary moonshiner among them, slept with a sawed-off shotgun in his bed in case the revenuers came at night. And I decided I didn't want to sleep in the middle of a possible battle. <laughs>
0: Oh, my gosh. As the Batman, you weren't uh, about to do any crime fighting.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, my gosh. And so your work is probably primarily nocturnal when you're out doing field work? Or how much of it is nocturnal? How much of it is... In- A
1: lot of it's nocturnal, more than I would like it <laughs> these days.
0: Someone calling the bat line. That's the bat phone, huh?
1: Well, I mean, if it wasn't, probably considered unethical or illegal it would be fun for you to listen in on one of these calls from somebody that's terrified thinks they're about to die of rabies because a bat got near him last night
0: oh no so he unplugged the bat phone and we continued going back in your history you were born in hawaii mm-hmm. right and now when did you make the move from the island to the mainland and did you grow up around caves at all
1: I grew up going into lava tubes in Hawaii. My father was very interested in exploring the old lava tubes, and, but there aren't any bats in caves in Hawaii. I didn't discover bats until I was at least nine years old living in California. I really first discovered them when a classmate in the fourth grade brought a dead one to school. Cool. We were all curious and looked at it, and I took it home and made a study skin out of it. I'd. At age nine, a uh, mammalogist came to my school to speak about his research on small mammals in the jungles of Central America. And I immediately, I s- never forget, I thought, wow, you mean a s- scientist actually get paid to go have fun adventures in the jungle? <laughs> that's what I want to do.
0: <laughs> um, that's amazing. So you were inspired from just being a wee one.
1: So from age nine, I got acquainted with the scientist who lectured at my school. He told me about a book I could get that would teach me how to be a mammologist. And I started preparing study skins and trading specimens with museums.
0: Oh, my gosh. So even in high school, you were... Starting to to work on this kind of in, in an almost professional sense, right?
1: Well, I actually I was only age of nine when I started doing this Oh
0: my god!
1: <laughs> I started taking accurate field notes and really getting serious. Actually, I published my first two or three papers Based on high school work.
0: You're like the Doogie Hauser of bats. Douglas Doogie Hauser is a whiz kid You're like a wonderkind, like a baby bat genius. <laughs> Did you ever Did you ever waver in terms of what you wanted to do? Did you ever say, like, maybe I'll go into farming, or maybe I'll be a nurse? Or did, was it bats from age nine?
1: Well, it starts way back before that. I mean, I was clearly a nature buff, you know, from the beginning. From the time I could talk, I mean... When I was less than 2 years old, I knew when a monarch butterfly was about to hatch from its pupa. <laughs> I would rear the caterpillars on a plant stuck in water in the window, mm-hmm. and when a c- pupa would be about to hatch, I'd run around the house telling my parents, "You know, come quick, come quick, the butterfly is about to come out."
2: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, and by the time I was 5, my father was big time interested in seashells and collecting and and but so by that time, I probably knew nearly all the scientific names of the seashells of Hawaii. Oh, my God. And then later I got into snakes. And, oh, man, I, I, I could tell you stories endlessly about terrorizing my mother and, and all her friends with my snakes getting loose. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I then I published, I think, two papers on shrews before I did anything on bats.
0: Oh, So, people, it's okay to like a lot of things. Maybe over time you'll realize a common thread between your interests or a way to link them or do both, or you'll just figure out which one you truly love the most.
1: By the time I was nine, there was no question I was going to be a mammologist. Mm -hmm. And uh, so all the way through high school, I was out. In fact, this is an interesting part of my story. In... uh, well, all through college, I barely graduated from college. Really? In fact, I was terrified the last semester of college. I found out at the last minute that if I didn't have a C average in my minor, I couldn't graduate, and I was taking biochemistry and about to flunk it. Oh, no. And uh, so I studied around the clock. I'd study for like an hour and then take a 20-minute nap and study for an hour and take a 20-minute nap. The reason I was terrified, I had a job. I was going to go f- directly from college to being co-director of a $400,000 field project for the Smithsonian.
0: Oh, my God. All you needed was that, just that piece of paper. This
1: was based on the fact that while I was near flunking out of school, I was becoming a well-recognized mammologist. <laughs> 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 hanging out with leading mammologists in the field, learning from them, skipping classes while I did it. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, so the funny thing was I finally did graduate, got my job at the Smithsonian, but I'd been warned that I'd never make it into graduate school on my lousy grades
0: Merlin got a bachelor's in zoology at Andrews University in Michigan, but he was so focused on field studies of bats that he said they had to twist some arms to get him admitted to graduate school at the University of Kansas. He was admitted on academic probation, and his admission was so conditional, the school said they might not even keep him past his master's, even if he wanted to. But he got his master's, sure enough, in systematics and ecology, studying the zoogeography of Peruvian bats, and then he stayed for his Ph.D. in ecology and evolution. His dissertation was on gray bats, and he graduated with honors, becoming Dr. Merlin Tuttle in 1974.
1: I gave a commencement address this spring at a school where I point out that, you know, don't sit around and wait for somebody to t- tell you how you're going to get the f- biggest job opportunities the most pay that kind of thing because it's always going to change whatever everybody's telling students today is the big job opportunity area will probably be glutted five years from now
2: Mm.
1: pick what you're passionate about and if you're passionate about what you've chosen you're probably going to be in the top five percent of people doing it and you'll get a job regardless of where the job market goes if you're really passionate about something you're smart enough to be a success at it mm-hmm. it's not about iq it's about dedication and, and endurance and passion
0: oh you thought this was just about bats oh no way never no there's so much self-help in here oh get your heart ready
1: and i've definitely got the passion
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and now what is it about bats what do you what drew you to them in terms of uh of all the mammals that you could study
1: well, I started out studying small mammals in general, mm-hmm. particularly shrews. Shrews are very interesting.
0: Are
2: they?
1: Oh, very.
0: Don't worry. I have my eye on a shrew expert, Dr. Leslie Carraway in Oregon. Come, come for you. Anyway, when it comes to mammals, how many really fly? We just have bats and sort of gliding, gliding squirrels, right?
1: <laughs> Only bats truly fly.
0: Okay. That's what I thought. Is that one thing you love about them? Well,
1: I think I could have studied almost anything that happened to get in my way long enough to keep me focused for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went through periods where I loved uh, snorkeling on coral reefs, and I could have easily been a marine ecologist Uh, I went through a phase where I collected and identified, I think, 160 species of mosses and liverworts. I love nature, Mm -hmm. but I think one of the things that's really made me much more successful than I could have been otherwise studying bats is I first loved the whole picture, all living things, and had a fascination for them. And so it was much easier then for me to understand where my animals fit and what their roles were in that system.
0: Sure, so you (coughs) understood the whole puzzle. And so every piece in a puzzle becomes really interesting and vital.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, I I get internally at least rather upset at people who are just focused on a species or a group. And you've got to save these. And it doesn't matter how many others you trample on. These have got to be saved.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not that way. Bats aren't safe until all living things are safe. Mm-hmm. They're all interlocked, interdependent, and so are we. We don't get out of that.
0: Mm -hmm. Merlin, come for the bats and stay for the poetic existentialism. He's the best. Speaking of existence, how do bats define themselves? What is a bat? How do you define a bat? I know that's a stupid question, but... Well,
1: they nursed their young. Linnaeus, the father of modern taxonomy, thought that bats were true primates because they had pectoral instead of inguinal breasts.
0: Primates? Okay, this is the flying primate hypothesis, and it relates to the flying fox, which is a fruit-eating megabat, as opposed to the smaller insect-munching microbats. So, side note, none of them are blind as a bat. These little winged fluff muffins have pretty good eyesight, and microbats use incredible echolocation sonar to hunt for bugs. But revered Australian neuroscientist and vision researcher Jack Pettigrew, who sadly passed away earlier this year, had made an interesting discovery about megabat brains and vision.
1: Uh, He discovered that all flying foxes have crossing over neurons between the eyes and the midbrain. Mm-hmm. the uh, you have thousands of neurons that go between your eyes and your midbrain and in primates they cross over between oh. the two sides and in no other mammal do they so that was the diagnostic you know if it has crossing over it's a primate and if it doesn't it's not that was accepted for all, most of the history of paleontology and then jack found that all flying foxes had to cross in over neurons like primates and all of a sudden they threw out the rule i had the good fortune of having to speak with jack about a month before he passed away and he said well Maron, it's not going to happen while you and i are still alive but it will happen there'll be a day when they finally decide that flying foxes are primates (gasps)
0: Oh, my God, I had no idea that they were even up for consideration for it.
2: It's just such an honor to just be nominated.
1: Neuronal evolution, you don't evolve thousands of new neuronal pathways just overnight. Mm -hmm. Those are the slowest parts to evolve. Your fingers may get longer or shorter, things like that, but your neurons are pretty stable. Mm -hmm. So when you find thousands of neurons are doing the same things they do in primates, uh, you should at least take a good look at what that might mean.
0: Yeah. And now, when it comes to the evolution of bats, where what are their ancestors? What are their relatives? Where do these beautiful furry, fuzzy sky puppies, as they're called, come from?
1: That's probably a pretty debatable <laughs> subject. When I started studying bats, we recognized just a little over eight hundred species. Mm-hmm. Now it's almost fourteen hundred. <clears throat>
0: Now, are more and more people maybe going into areas that haven't been explored or caves or do we have better technology? Why such a jump in the number of species?
1: Well, for a very long time, bats weren't very studied. I mean, you, you could go through a whole major in biology and all you'd find out about bats was there was this order, Chiropter, and they flew mm-hmm. and everybody ignored them. And bats haven't always been the easiest thing to study, even if you wanted to study them. But with modern technology, we're coming up with a whole lot more way, ways of looking at bats.
0: Okay, so a bat is a mammal covered in fur that gives birth to live young and makes milk. And each one has a little belly button. And it's the only mammal capable of true flight. Also, you know how their wings are really just big webbed hands? So imagine if you had a stubby clawed thumb and then your fingers got longer and longer until your pinky was as long as your whole body and webbed. And then you were like, later losers and flew away. How badass are you? So badass. Also, bats used to be classified by their coat color, which Merlin says was bunk because some bats are bright orange in the wild and brown in captivity. Others change color after they're weaned. So yes, Actually, speaking of, let's talk about teeny tiny bat babies, shall we? Squirmy, little smush-faced, seashell-eared fuzzy wrigglers. Can you walk me through a little bit of a life cycle of a bat?
2: Well,
1: it's very different for different kinds of bats. Mm -hmm. Most bats produce just one pup a year, and that's part of why they're so easily threatened with extinction. They form the largest aggregations of any mammal except Homo sapiens. Oh, wow. And they not only form these huge aggregations in very vulnerable places like caves, but they only produce one puppy a year per mom. Oh. They're programmed for long lifespan. 40-plus-year-old bats have been found.
0: What? <clears throat> That's crazy. I didn't know that they could live that long.
1: They're the longest-lived mammals on the planet for their size.
0: That's <laughs> Nuts! Because normally, typically, isn't their metabolism of smaller mammals typically shorter, and they live they live less time? Do they have different hearts? Rodents
1: rodents are lucky to get in two years.
0: Right? Yeah. So how are they doing it? Do you think?
1: Well, bats are just totally different, and it largely centers around these long lifespans and. If, if you're going to be as sophisticated and live as long as they do, you'd better be sophisticated socially and yep. have a lot of smarts. Mm-hmm. In fact, it, when I first banded gray bats, I had big-time suspicions that they were having friendships that, you know, like these four or five bats knew each other and would travel around each together. Because I had groups of up to several bats that I had caught all at the same time. Like, let's see, I found a little cluster of them in a cave, and I can't put a hand net under them. They dropped in. I caught them, and I banded them. Mm -hmm. Well, I have caught some of those groups five, ten years later, sometimes hundreds of miles away, still together.
0: No, they have they have bat packs
1: i could tell because i banded my bats at known ages when they're just learning to fly coming out of a certain case i know where they came from and i knew how old they were and i knew that some of these bats weren't just mom you know mom pup or, or sister brother sister and uh, so that led me to a lot of wondering but it was only in the last few years that there was a paper published done on some really good Research that could document that kind of thing, concluding that bats have social systems strikingly similar to those of whales, dolphins, and primates.
0: Oh my gosh! Do you think they they can communicate with their sonar to each other?
1: Well, bats have a much bigger repertoire of uh, communication ability than certainly than we do.
0: Really? How are they communicating?
1: They can they can hear our low frequencies. And they can hear extremely high frequencies. They have a much broader range of hearing. Mm -hmm. In fact, I years ago studied frog-eating bats. And when I discovered that a bat ate frogs, the herpetologists all laughed. And they didn't believe it because they'd never seen a bat chasing a frog. (laughs) And the hearing specialist, the foremost hearing physiologist in America, nixed my first grant proposal to study it because they said that it is impossible for a bat to hear the low frequencies of frog calls
2: i'm sorry sir but you're wrong
1: they ended up doing research on how
0: they did it Mm -hmm. oh my god okay side note a research institute just called the bat lab in tel aviv has been analyzing 15,000 different noises that bats make and they made a recent discovery that a lot of the time they're nestled together in colonies. Kind of a mix between a cuddle party and a rush hour commuter train from New Jersey. Those noises are bats bickering. Yep, just bitching at each other like, Jesus, Eric, move over. Who farted? Who ate a grasshopper and farted? So yes, bats squeaking, is so much drama in a language you can't understand. Holy shit, do I wish that nature had subtitles. So do you think that they are forming these social associations for um, survival and and just psychological well-being? Well,
1: you know, if you're going to live 40-some years and, and you're going to have a complex lifestyle, I mean, look, the gray bats that I studied, for example, you'll have a hibernation cave where maybe a half million or even a million or more come to hibernate in one site. Some of the destination caves, one of them had an entrance so small and well concealed that after I'd been going there years, I would still sometimes park my car and spend 20 minutes looking for the cave entrance.
0: Oh my God.
1: And you got to understand that these bats probably can't detect much with their echolocation more than maybe 30 feet or so in front. That's not a whole long ways. Yeah. They're having to cross terrain that is changing constantly. I mean, we're cutting down forests. We're building cities. We're doing everything under the sun to change things on them. you got to be pretty damn sophisticated to figure all just your travel routes out. You know, there's a paper published a long time ago that showed that there was a species of bat that didn't eat frogs that homed in on ponds where frogs were calling just as an indicator of where they would find the most insects.
0: Oh, God. (laughs) That's amazing. Merlin says bats are important in controlling agricultural pests, too, like the corn earworm moths. And on top of that, they are excellent meteorologists. So if you see a bat, just kindly stop it and say, excuse me, pardon me, will I need an umbrella tomorrow?" I mean, if you can stop them, will speed demons?
1: They can fly thousands of feet above ground catch tailwinds and go a hundred mile, close to a hundred miles an hour so that they can really you know if, if they can figure out where the storm disturbances or things are happening they know where the insects are happening
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we've probably got a lot more to learn about that but um, just to illustrate how important the bats can be to crop protection the bats just from bracken cave alone a cave that i spent 20 years getting protected near san antonio Just those bats, 10 to 20 million of them, eat between 100 and 200 tons of insects in a night.
0: A night?
1: In a night.
0: Oh, God.
1: And now get this. One of those bats, just one, can eat enough corn earworm moths to prevent them from laying 20,000 or more eggs. That's enough to force a Texas farmer to spray multiple acres with pesticides at a cost of $74 an acre.
0: You said you weren't good at math, but I'm starting to doubt that. <laughs> I think you're better at math than you say you are. <laughs> That's amazing. So the importance of them for pest control is huge.
1: Nationally, it's been conservatively estimated to be 20, worth $23 billion a summer.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: But the sad thing is that we're just looking at the tip of the iceberg of what should be. Most of, the, of America's bats were probably lost before we were born
0: really now what is is cause? what caused that decline was it loss of habitat
1: uh, loss of habitats a big factor loss of habitat is what of course happens when people get scared and starts burning their caves
0: Merlin told me that two decades ago, in one part of Kentucky's Mammoth Cave National Park, he was able to convince park officials to remove a concrete door that they'd put up at the entrance of a cave and make it friendlier to the bats who used to live there. And the bats were like, oh, shit, wow, okay, thank you.
1: And the park staff were really proud this time to show me that in 20 years, we'd gone from right at zero to 300,000 bats in that cave.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: It's not too late to restore bats, but it's too late if we don't change our attitudes. Mm-hmm. And it all gets down to attitudes. People fear most what they understand least. We all fear more taking off in a plane than riding to the airport in a taxi. Mm-hmm. And yet the taxi is far more dangerous. Yeah. It just seems to be the way we are. And um, it's been very easy to scare people about. Rabies and bats, disease and bats. Did you know that you're actually almost twice as likely to die of a Coke m- vending machine falling on you as you are of bat rabies in America?
0: <laughs> I believe <laughs> it. I be- same with sharks. Sharks kill like five people a year. Merlin says way more people die of food poisoning at picnics from dog attacks, maybe even from falling coconuts. In America, your chance of dying by rabies is about 2 million times less likely than your death by diabetes. And no lie, I left over confetti cake for breakfast. I should have been terrified of it and thrown it at a wall and run screaming based on those odds.
1: If bats were even fractionally as dangerous disease-wise as they're purported to be, people like me would have been dead eons ago.
0: Yeah. <laughs> have you <laughs> ever had a bat bite you?
1: Never had a bat bite me? Mm-hmm. I'm probably the world's <laughs> foremost authority on bat bites.
0: What is it like when they bite you?
1: Now, I'm not I'm not a guy to brag about being bit. I don't want to encourage people to be careless and get bit by any animal they don't know or even one they do know. Mm-hmm. But here's the key. Mm-hmm. I've never been bitten by a bat that wasn't biting in self-defense because I was handling him and he was frightened. Mm -hmm. I have never been attacked by a bat. I've been surrounded by millions at a time for days at a time in their caves. I've personally photographed more than 300 species in every part of the world where they exist, and I've still not seen an aggressive bat. And yet what you hear in these people wanting to scare us because there's big money in it, We hear that bats are sneaking around, biting people in their sleep without them knowing it.
0: Merlin and other bat researchers like veterinarians have gotten pre-exposure vaccination against rabies. That just protects them against defensive bites from some unfamiliar critters they handle. So unprotected people bitten by any animal, of course, should get advice regarding a possible need to be vaccinated and to have the animal tested for rabies. Just be safe
1: if i'm trying to scare you into taking your rabies shots Mm -hmm. i'll tell you that almost every person in america who gets rabies gets it from a bat true Mm -hmm. but did you know that's only one and a half people a year out of the whole u.s and canada combined
0: one and a half people a year
1: and one and a half people per year i mean you risk you, you put your life at greater risk driving one mile in a motorized vehicle than your annual risk of rabies in America. Mm-hmm. And the good news is that for anybody who simply doesn't handle bats, the odds of contracting rabies or any disease from bat are right at zero.
0: So we recorded this at Merlin's Kitchen Table in Austin, which is, of course, known for its caves and bats and attractive people in bands
1: look at the congress avenue bridge right here in austin Mm -hmm. when hundreds of thousands of bats started moving into that bridge public health people warned that they were rabid dangerous would attack people people signed petitions demanding that they be eradicated they were right on the verge of doing it when i came here and convinced the city that they might be better off saving the bats Mm -hmm. today decades later we're still waiting for the first person to be attacked. <sighs> We're still waiting for the first person to contract a disease. The bats are simply eating tons of insects nightly and bringing in millions of tourist dollars every summer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can't find a better, safer neighbor..
0: Now, what about people who want to put up bat boxes in front of their or you know, on their house?
1: Well, it's a great idea. If you're going to go to all that trouble or expense, so just be sure you do it right. If you go to my website, there's a, a uh, resource on my website at merlintuttle.org mm-hmm. that uh, tells you how to recognize a good bad house from one that isn't good and even lists several producers that make good ones that I have personally tested.
0: Okay, side note, a bat house is a relatively flat, usually wooden structure, about the size of a suitcase, and you can mount it on your house or barn about 12 to 20 feet off the ground. So little flying critters can nestle up and roost in it like little snuggly, furry sardines.
1: Well, I'm the one that first introduced bat houses to America.
0: You did? Was that a hard sell?
1: The hard sell was with my colleagues. Really? I had several leading colleagues who... Actually, one of them even published a scientific paper claiming that bad houses didn't work and it was unfortunate that, without naming me specifically, that that some people were promoting them to raise money despite the fact they didn't work. And all of these people that made those kind of claims ended up using them as research sites for their students when they worked.
0: (laughs) Did they ever (laughs) issue a public formal apology? No. (laughs) They might still owe you one. (laughs) <laughs> so i didn't want to take up too much of merlin's time and i thought i'd just move on to the patreon questions but as we have established merlin is the best and he was in no hurry to wrap up the bat facts
1: before we get there though let yeah, me yeah. point out you know that there's a lot of interest and people find out that they couldn't have margaritas without bats oh really mexico's tequila and and mezcal industries which those products sell for billions of dollars annually could be lost without bats to pollinate the agaves, which produce those products. The whole chewing gum industry might never have existed if it wasn't for the, uh, chicle tree that is bat seed dispersed.
0: Okay, side note. There was a study done recently in Indonesia, which is one of the top three suppliers of cacao beans. And researchers found that bats saved farmers nearly $800 million a year by eating bugs. So every time you see chocolate, wink at it and say, hey, bats, thanks. You did this. You did this to my mouth. And I'm grateful.
1: The whole world price of chocolate it could go up without bats.
0: <laughs> and now what areas of the country tend to have more bats? Because I know you're here in Austin where there are tons of caves. So bats and spielologists, I imagine, are friends.
1: Yeah. Uh we're we're lucky here in Texas because clear back from the Civil War it was known that bats had some value. They mined the uh guano for saltpeter to make gunpowder. In fact, one of the biggest declines ever in American bats came during the War of 1812 when extensive bat caves were mined for saltpeter for gunpowder.
0: Who's taking care of the guano in the caves? Like, you've got, let's say, a million bats in a cave. There's some droppings. What's normally digesting that? Where's that
1: Well, go? now you've come to a whole new area we could have spent most of our time talking about (laughs) bats are the primary producers of energy in a cave ecosystem no less than plants are on the surface oh wow and there are thousands and thousands of different kinds of microorganisms Uh, a study done in bracken cave i think there was a at least a 1,000 species and maybe a couple hundred genera of bacteria and a tablespoonful of guano from there. And most of them weren't known from any place else. And among those, they found a whole bunch of them that had biotechnological significance. See, when the dermestid insects in that cave feed on the bat droppings, their poop ends up creating a lot of ammonia. Mm -hmm. And they found enzymes that are breaking down ammonia, feeding on ammonia, and they could be used to detoxify some of the worst chemical wastes of industry in America. Oh. They also found bacteria that were feeding on chitin, which leads to a whole bunch of interesting possibilities. If you're feeding on chitin, you could uh, be used to convert seafood waste byproducts, you know, the the shells of lobsters and and... Yeah, shrimp sure. and things like that, uh, you could convert that using these bacteria to gasohol.
2: What?
0: P.S. What is gasohol? I had to look this up, and it's a blend of gasoline and ethanol. Boom. Kind of like if your gas tank took some shots of Everclear that was made from usually leftover agricultural starches. And this fuel may offer lower levels of certain emissions. Ever clear into your own personal gas tank of your stomach does increase emissions of 3 a.m. pizza barf, so watch out for that. But anyway, bats and caves and science in the future.
1: But it wouldn't be terribly surprising if someday someone found that they had the billion-dollar bug from a cave system where it wasn't found anywhere else and wouldn't have been if it hadn't been for the bats still being there.
0: Now, what is it like to do field work in caves, and what is that what is does the night of field work look like to you? And did you ever feel claustrophobic?
1: You- <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> well, the day that I made a wrong turn and crawled down a real tight squeeze for a hundred feet, uh, I felt very claustrophobic. Oh, I'd been told that there was a hundred thousand bats in this place where they'd escaped notice by people and um to get there oh it was horrible there was a little passage so small you had to lie on your belly or your back with your arms either going down along your sides or up ahead pinned and squeezed through and you had to siphon water out of the tunnel before you could go in oh god and it was 43 degree temperature blowing through this and back then we didn't have wetsuits or anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm going through just dressed with long johns and a jumpsuit on. Mm-hmm. And um, so I get good and soaking wet. I come out the other side and the cavers have told me there's a real tight squeeze on the other side, but don't worry, it opens up on the other side where the bats are. I'm going in. So I go into the real tight squeeze. Don't worry, it opens up on the other side where the bats are, but I missed the tight squeeze that they found. <gasps> I found another one, and my tight squeeze didn't have any end.
0: Oh my God!
1: And I ended up—I don't know how long I was in that thing. But back in those days, we had six-volt batteries that I would hang in a pistol off a pistol belt on my side. And as I crawled down this, with my arms pinned up in front of me, I couldn't even reach back to do anything about my battery. Once I got in there and realized that it wasn't going to—I wasn't going to come out on the other side in a few feet, I. Caught my battery in a tight spot and pulled it loose from my headlights. I didn't even have a light.
2: (gasps) It was very dark.
1: And then I'm squeezing through places so tight I'm practically breaking ribs. Oh, my God. And I know that there is no way I'm going to come out alive if I don't find a place to turn around. So I have to keep going ahead. And I went ahead for like about a 100 feet. It seemed like a mile. And finally found a place where if I had, I swear, if I'd been one inch taller, I wouldn't have been able to turn around.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, man. I'm, I'm freaking out. I, I'm having an anxiety attack listening to this.
1: That made me much more careful about what I crawl into.
0: How, when you got through, when you were able to, thank God, turn around and get through, because then you had to do the tight squeeze Again. Yeah, and I wasn't even
1: sure I could get back through it all.
0: Oh my God, what was it like and, when you got out?
1: And by the time I got out, remember, by that time I would have been hypothermic. I, was, you know, just absolutely teeth chattering. And
0: oh man, what was that like when you got out? How did you celebrate that night? Did you just go straight home? I would go. I would have been like, I'm done for the day. Um. Uh, Or did you go through the next tight squeeze to where the bats were?
1: I actually did go see where the bats were before (laughs) I left.
0: Unstoppable.
1: Well, I wasn't going to go through all that misery and not not find out if the bats were actually there.
0: (laughs) Oh, Now, how was that tight squeeze? Was that
1: easy? Well, it was a tight squeeze for about four feet, like they said, and then it opened up.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. So you went through 25 times what you needed to, really 50 times what you needed to because you had to come all the way back. (gasps) Oh, How are the bats?
1: Well, I have found a lot of undiscovered parts of caves by looking for bats because a lot of our bats nowadays only survive where people can't find them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so by sometimes following where you see bats disappearing, uh, you can find caves that nobody knew about.
0: So they're kind of like uh, the tour guides into unknown caves. Come, follow me.
1: We started earlier to talk about what's happened to American bats, what the cause of decline is. Mm-hmm. A major, major cause of decline is loss of hibernation caves. Mm-hmm. The mammoth cave system alone had millions, probably tens of millions of bats hibernating in it. Early visitors reported that you could go for miles and the walls were solidly covered with bats in the winter.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And they've lost those resources, and... And now they have to travel much farther to find a place to overwinter. When they get there, it's often too warm or too cold and stresses them out, so they have to wait, squander energy faster than they should. All this makes them vulnerable to what else may happen that's a threat. You know, it's like you've got a pie here, and every time you take a piece out of it, you got that much less energy left for survival. So, you know, it's my opinion that many of the deaths that have occurred in recent years from the fungus that causes white-nose syndrome may very well not have occurred had the bats not lost key hibernation sites and were already suffering at the edge of their energy limits
0: right and now and that was a question i was going to get to you which i'm glad you brought it up but what is exactly white-nose syndrome this is a a fungal infection
1: it's a fungal infection that Appears to have been inadvertently introduced from Europe. It's found all across Europe and Asia. The bats in Europe and Asia Rarely are harmed by it. They may have been harmed by it a long time ago, but they've evolved immunity and It's been said that some human undoubtedly brought it who went to a cave in Europe and then went to a cave in America but Truthfully, we don't know how it got here. I think it's more probable that a bat came across from Europe in a shipping container. Ah. There are published records of quite a few bats that have ended up in the US or UK uh, just because they got on a, in a crevice in a shipping container. And the next thing they knew, they were waking up out at sea where they couldn't get off, and then they ended up in a new country.
0: Where's everybody? Oh my gosh. And so maybe one that was infected with it. Uh, spread it to a cave. Do they know the actual area where they first kind of identified it in on this continent?
1: Yes, it was a commercial cave in New York. And um, it's been said that that proved that it was human-born. But if a new fungus came to a state, where would you expect it to be seen first? In a commercial cave where people are going every day. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that, that, that people started it there. It just means that it was more likely to be found there.
0: Right. Correlation, of course, is not causation. So more peepers on bat noses could just have helped identify it faster. We don't know.
1: There's been a huge focus on stopping its spread by telling people that they couldn't go in caves anymore. Uh, and that hasn't even slowed the spread because bats are far more effective spreaders. Just bats that I banded in one cave in northern Alabama ended up being found almost all the way into the state of Kansas, into Missouri, into Oklahoma, into Arkansas, Mississippi, Florida, West Virginia, Virginia, Kentucky, and North Carolina.
0: They're like truckers. They really they, make the They rent. get around. <laughs> and now, are they finding a place to sleep every night? Or or rather, every day are typically are are most bats nocturnal? Are they sleeping like on a daily the on, schedule?
1: The only truly diurnal, or at least partially diurnal bats are on remote uh, islands where there are very few birds of prey
0: Mm, okay
1: a bat in the daytime is pretty easy prey for a hawk
0: when are they sleeping like let's say that they are out and about are they returning to the same cave unless it's a hibernation period or a migration period
1: bats are very loyal to specific areas uh if you have four or five caves fairly close together they may very well move among those in my study i banded 40 some thousand gray bats And tracked them for 20 years. So I got pretty good data on what the bats were doing. Mm -hmm. They were very loyal to a home, what I'd call a home area. They'd have a nursery cave that was center focus. Then they'd usually have a few batch, what I call bachelor caves, within a few kilometers around that one.
0: Bachelor caves? Were they mostly dudes? Oh, hey. Okay, quick. Before the dudes, let's divert to some lady bat facts. So Merlin says that before a female gray bat can breed, for example, she has to have access to some insect-rich territories. But those are usually guarded by the older females, who probably chatter at them things like, Back off, Michaela! This is Denise's mosquito patch. She will cut you. So, Michaela will have to wait before breeding. But in populations that have declined, those turf wars don't happen. So, lady bats can breed easier and earlier if they have access to food stores. Kind of like if you had a sizzler all to yourself. You'd be like, look at all these croutons. Might as well have some kids.
1: But most gray bats wait a year or so before they act. They'll breed, they'll mate the first fall. Mm-hmm. But my belief is that probably they just, if they don't get enough energy the next spring to produce a fetus, they resorb it, which is known to occur in, in bats. Oh, wow. <clears throat> they, they have wonderful birth control methods. They, they don't waste anything, you know, <laughs> they resorb the embryo.
0: Wow, they can recycle it if they're like, not a good time, not well, now. Well, I
1: don't know whether gray bats resorb or not, but some bats do, I, I know that.
0: Whoopsie-daisy, let me just recycle those molecules. I did not know that.
1: But at any rate, I knew one place where a banded female uh, owned the same territory for at least four consecutive years. Oh, my and God. And she probably was allowing her offspring special access to her territory.
0: So it's almost like a dynasty or, or a uh, legacy territory? Well, they know
1: each other that's so
0: cool. I loved it. I love that they think that like, hey, come here, four or five of us were friends. Like, come come check out my territory. <laughs> Some of my insects. Like, no, go for it, go for it. We're good. We're friends.
1: Now you asked about, you know, are these all dudes at the bachelor's caves? Uh-huh. <clears throat> no. They're dudes and gals that haven't yet uh conceived far enough to produce an, an offspring
0: mm-hmm. now do they tend to have the same mate year after year not
1: gray bats oh gray bats might offend a few people's tastes uh <laughs> <laughs> they have a, what appears to be a grand old orgy every fall
2: do please go on
1: but there are bats that are monogamous really and uh, Apparently stick together for long periods of time. One will stay with the pup and babysit, and the other will go out and hunt and bring rats and things back And, and for the one that's babysitting.
0: Oh, my God. Now, what is the biggest bat and the smallest bat?
1: You've got everything from giant flying foxes with almost six-foot wingspans.
0: Six-foot wingspans? Yeah. That's bigger than this table. I had no idea they were that big. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow, okay, so they're huge.
1: All the way down to tiny little bumblebee bats, which, actually, I'm I'm leading a trip in November to show members of Merlin Tuttle's Bat Conservation these bats. We're going to look at the flying foxes and the bumblebee bats on the same trip.
0: What? Where are they? Thailand. They're both in Thailand? Uh-huh. Oh, my God, that's an amazing trip. I might just have to... Piggyback on that trip. <laughs> Look at that info. So in mid-November, Merlin is leading a group through Thailand to see painted bats, flying foxes, wee little bumblebee bats, and more. So is this man living his dream or what? The answer is yes. Also, it should be noted that Merlin is an incredible bat photographer and his thousands of bat photos are kind of like if bats had a glamour shot studio set up in the jungle. He has photos of huge eared bats and scrunch face bats and dog looking flying foxes and bright orange fuzzy little pups. By the by, why do some bats have long noses like an Irish setter dog and others have a face that looks like they pressed a vagina against glass and it stayed that way? Well, in general, micro bats with the squish face, eat bugs and they rely on echolocation that comes from and bounces off their mouth and their nose leaf. And yeah, that thing's called a nose leaf. Anyway, flying fox type mega bats, by contrast, tend to eat fruit, which they don't have to hunt because fruit tends not to fly around and evade them. So they don't have all of those nose leaves. Also, is now an okay time to list off some of my favorite bat names? Okay, good. Just listen to these the little golden-mantled flying fox, Patrice's trident leaf-nosed bat, eastern small-footed myotis, a mountain tube-nosed fruit bat, a dragon tube-nosed fruit bat, demonic tube-nosed fruit bat, St. Igen's trumpet-eared bat, hoary-wattled bat, pungent pipistrel, white-bellied yellow bat, wrinkle-lipped free-tailed bat, cinnamon-dog-faced bat, naked rumped pouch bat, hammer-headed fruit bat. Oh, by the way, the last of which, the hammerhead, has a face, kind of like a warped horse. It looks like if you shrunk a moose, tiny, and then gave it wings. If it were a Star Wars creature, people would be like, "Mm, this is too much. And that fills my heart with warm rays of golden sunshine. One thing I find so interesting about bats is that their head shapes vary so so much. Like that, isn't there a hammerhead bat that just looks like a balloon, kind of?
1: Oh, I love those big male hammerhead bats. Yes, I never worked so hard in my life trying to get a picture of a bat. I caught dozens of hammerhead bats, but I never got an alpha male.
0: Oh uh, no. So the alphas have bigger heads.
1: They have bigger heads. Well, they're older and they're more developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've—I definitely have the world's most nearly complete collection of bat photos.
0: Yeah, but, your bat photos are amazing.
1: But I still don't have a fully. Now I've got some pretty nice males, but not the not the gorgeous one that I want.
0: <laughs> so you've seen ones that you just haven't been able to photograph. The
1: reason I don't have the gorgeous one. Those alpha males are usually way the highest up in the safest place courting, and they're not coming down to feed where I can catch them very much. The People who are catching those; are putting nets way up in the canopy of the forest. Oh my god! And back when I was trying to catch mine, we didn't yet have triple what we call triple high nets that we could raise up to where they are.
0: And so there are un, probably unphotographed, like alpha male hammerhead bats out there
1: well people looking for ebola in in them Mm -hmm. have photographed them and and that's another sore point with me Mm -hmm. you'd think nowadays that it'd been documented clearly that bats are the source of ebola and yet that's not true at all after all these years of speculating that came from bats and spending millions of dollars trying to prove it came from bats. Still, in my opinion, the best evidence doesn't go to bats.
0: Really? Where do you think it came from?
1: Well, we don't have any proof yet. Okay, the last time they said they had real good evidence that Ebola might come from bats, they found a piece of RNA virus in an insectivorous bat's mouth, in a mouth swab. Mm Mm-hmm. They said this was related to Ebola. You know, it was they couldn't prove it, but it was a genetic fragment that could be. Yeah. But another vi- virologist himself pointed out that that could just as easily come from the bat eating a mosquito or something that was carrying Ebola, making the bat a controller instead of a vector.
0: Oh, my God.
1: What I point out is that even sick bats rarely become aggressive. Mm-hmm. It is so rare that in 60 years of studying bats all over the world, hundreds of species, I have yet to see an aggressive batter to document one actually going out and attacking somebody.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, a vampire bat in Latin America, yes, may sneak up and try to get a nip at night. But Can
2: I please have a bite? <laughs>
1: That's not what we're talking about in the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, our bats simply... If if I saw a bat that looked aggressive, I would assume immediately that it had rabies. I wouldn't no no joking about it, and I'd I'd have be treated or have somebody treated if it seemed to have bitten anybody. Mm-hmm. But even touching a rabid bat is not an exposure if you're not bitten or exposed to an open wound.
0: Rabies, side note, is a virus that can be transmitted from animals to humans, and it is potentially fatal if it's not treated. But Merlin says that a fear of rabies is very lucrative. So post-treatment for rabies, which people have been known to get needlessly in a panic without even being bitten by or touching a bat, just seeing one, that treatment will run you $48,000 in some American emergency rooms. Dogs, coyotes, Foxes, skunks, raccoons can also all carry rabies, but bats are out there taking the heat.
1: Let me make one point abundantly clear. Mm -hmm. For anybody who simply doesn't handle bats,
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: the odds of contracting any disease from any bat are very close to zero.
0: Yeah. Oh, I believe it.
1: We hear so much about bats, but did you know that worldwide dogs count for 99% of human rabies? About 60,000 a year as opposed to probably 10 a year worldwide from bats. You know, we're kind of naturally a little bit frightened of anything we don't know about. We don't know much about bats. We only see a bat when he's in trouble dying or, you know, being defensive.
0: Oh, my gosh. Can I ask you listener questions? Sure. Yeah? Okay. They have good questions. Okay. Before we get to your questions, there were almost 350 submitted, the most for any episode to date. But first, a word about some sponsors who make it possible to donate to a cause each week. This one was easy the Merlin Tuttle Bat Conservation. It's an organization that relies on a powerful combination of science, field knowledge, and photography to help save millions of bats to protect public health, economies, and worldwide ecosystems by teaching people to live harmoniously with bats. And the founder is a pretty dang cool guy. So a donation went directly to that nonprofit at merlintuttle.org. And now you may hear some words from sponsors who made that possible. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, Here's the deal, so whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever KiwiCo. com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything. Allie Ward. And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed, essential for women at 18+, multivitamin, has these high-quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean, only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. I, that's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. Okay, back to the first half of your questions. And next week, a follow-up episode with the remainder of your questions and more field adventures from Merlin. Okay, first up, Claire Meyer and Heather Densmore asked a similar question to this first one. Sarah Iannucci wants to know, can bats be trained?
1: Absolutely. Really? Go to my website at Mm merlintuttle.org go to videos and you will see a bat training me
0: (laughs) training you
1: this bat (laughs) weighs just four grams that's less than a u.s nickel oh so small that i was convinced that there was no way you could have trained him he couldn't be smart enough to be trained Mm -hmm. and yet the first one i got uh I put it in my walk-in studio because I was going to photograph it there, and I fed it mealworms, hand-fed it while I held it, when I first took it in after I'd caught it. And then I left it over the night, I came back the next day to f- do some photography. As soon as I walked into my studio, the bat flew down and started bumping me in the nose, <laughs> flying up and bumping me in the nose. <laughs> And I wouldn't tell this story if I didn't have proof recorded. <laughs> this bat is bumping me in the nose time after time. In fact, he did it so many times that my wife had time to go run, grab another camera and say, Oh, I got to get this. Here, put your shirt on. You know, it was really hot and I was without a shirt on. <laughs> Said, This is going to be interesting. Put your shirt on. And the bat's still doing it. <laughs> and, and so I finally go, I realized that the bat was, trying to get my attention he wasn't attacking me yeah uh, so I got a mealworm and as soon as I held the mealworm up to him he flew right up and took the mealworm out of my hand
2: oh my god
1: <laughs> now here's an animal weighs less than a nickel never seen a human only hours before mm-hmm. never saw mealworm hours before never caught a non-flying insect probably in his life and now he all of a sudden remembers from the night before that I'm good for food, and that it's better to come bump me in the nose if he wants to get my attention. Why, why is he not bumping my shoulder or my knee or my hand? You know, some someplace else. Uh huh. And if this seems almost unbelievable, mm-hmm. three years later we went to Taiwan, and they caught a bat of that same genus, a woolly bat, that hadn't been named yet. It was a new species.
0: Side note: Woolly bats look like if you shrunk a buffalo and washed and conditioned and blow dried its hair and then stuck huge beige cone ears on it. Just the fuzziest.
1: And they brought it to me to show them how to photograph a bat catching flying insects, Mm -hmm. which is a real challenge. And uh, so it was, they didn't, it rained a lot and they didn't catch this bat until like two nights before I had to leave the country. And I figured, God help me, I'll never be able to, train this bat and do these things in that time. <laughs> and so I uh, decide. though, I'd go through the motions. Had to. So I take the bat into my studio, and I can't even get him to eat mealworms out of my hand. He will have nothing to do with cooperating at all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I finally let him go in there. But I knew I couldn't keep a small animal like that without him having food, or he'd die on me. And it'd be very embarrassing to be a leading conservationist killing a new, new species before it got described.
2: Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> so I released some moths to fly around in there with him. Came back a little while later to see if he'd eaten any of them. I saw wings on the floor. So I said, okay, I can keep him till tomorrow night anyway. Mm-hmm. The next evening. I come walking in knowing that there was no way I was going to photograph this bat because he's a total Mm non-cooperator. I unzip the corner and start to come in. And then when I came in, he started bumping me in the nose just like the one in Barneo had done.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Different, you know, totally different locality, Mm -hmm. totally different species.
0: (laughs) I wonder if that's how they nurse. Do you think that that's maybe how they get their mother's attention?
1: I have no idea, but how would I relate to his mother?
0: Uh, Tell me about your mother.
1: (laughs) He thinks I'm (laughs) going His mother wasn't as as big as my nose.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So they can be trained, and they can train you.
1: (laughs) I have trained quite a few bats. Mm -hmm. I can train them to go where I point. Wow. And primatologists tell me that they haven't even been able to train primates to do that. They've been able to train domestic dogs to go where you point, but not primates. Wow. And so when I was talking to a primatologist one time, she was really excited when when I said that I could train bats to go where I pointed. In fact, I've trained them to I'd point where I wanted them to come catch prey, take my hand back, and then a camera film crew would start with a high-speed camera and the bat would wait and wouldn't come until he heard the high-speed camera come and then he would come.
0: Oh my gosh, <clears throat> that's better than most actors in LA can hit a mark on time i mean
1: i had one of those bats that a uh, just new field assistant over tamed i told him how important it was to get these bats over their fear of us and everything and he just overdid it mm-hmm. so the next night my colleague mike ryan and i went out to uh do experiments and we couldn't do any experiments because the bat wanted to come sit on our shoulders oh. and wait to be fed oh I finally just gave up, didn't want to rough the bat up, just gave up and went and turned it loose. Our lab was in the jungle, so I just went and turned it loose back in the jungle. And at least half an hour, maybe 45 minutes later, I don't remember exactly, we had come out of the forest, walked back to where I was staying, and we're standing under a floodlight talking, and this bat came back and started coming for my hand, and I actually, for a second, thought I was seeing my first bat attack. <clears throat> I couldn't believe this thing had followed us back out of the jungle and was just wanting another handout.
0: <laughs> Did you have anything to feed it?
1: Yeah, we had some leftover minnows. And, uh, <laughs> and my assistant had kind of become better acquainted with that bat than I had. He, The bat had had one, they have big ears, this species does, and one of his ears, half of it was missing, so... My assistant noticed that and said, oh, that's the bat we just turned loose.
0: <laughs> Do you ever miss bats when you have to leave a, a certain field site? Are you like, oh, I'm going to miss that bat?
1: I have at times practically died of curiosity wondering what would have happened if I'd have had another week or another month or something to work with that bat. What, How smart would it have turned out to be? Mm-hmm. I mean, I normally don't work with the same bat Uh a week would be a long time for me to work with one bat.
0: So, yes, bats can be trained. Boy, howdy can they. So Sarah Ionichi who asked this question, had no idea how much. I thought that that was going to be a big no. I had no idea. <laughs> Oh, that was a great question then. Oh, my gosh.
1: And okay. after all these years of studying bats, mm-hmm. I am still discovering really cool neat, new things about their intelligence. Oh. I'm am amazed at their intelligence.
0: Oh. oh, and quick aside. In the wild, bats can use echolocation at precise angles to detect insects hiding still in leaves. And also, they'll spy on other species to see where they get their food sources. Also, per our discussion earlier, they talk. They talk to each other. They're talking to each other, and they're bitches, and I love it. I have another question from Katherine Hatcher, who herself is an ologist. She's a first-time question asker. She said, I want to know all about bat babies. How are they born? What is bat birth like? Can they fly right away? Tell me all the bat baby facts.
1: Depending on whether you're a species that bears twins or singletons, twins are born much smaller than singletons. But most bats produce just one pup a year, and that one pup is about a third its mother's weight. That'd be like a 30 or 40-pound baby born by a human mother.
2: That's a big one.
1: Where I've watched them in caves here in Texas, uh, and I might say normally I would be very upset if somebody told me they were going in and watching mothers give birth in a cave because that would be very disturbing to the mothers and probably cause mortality. But our free-tail bats here in Texas live in such a heavy-duty ammonia environment in the caves that most people wouldn't think of going in. And and when I went in for long periods and photographed them, I had to wear an ammonia respirator. Mm -hmm. And at one point it leaked, and I was hospitalized for 11 days with 35% lung capacity left.
2: Oh, my God oof
1: so these bats are kind of like animals on the galapagos islands Mm -hmm. they're not very frightened of people because people don't usually come in and bug with them yeah and so i over a period of a week or so would get bats along one wall accustomed to my presence so i could walk back and forth and photograph them without them panicking and dropping their young or anything and it was really cool the pup when it's first born has what appears to be a like a safety line like an astronaut getting out of a vehicle in space the placenta acts as its anchor to its mother
2: oh wow
1: and the umbilical cord is like a leash so that if he falls he can't really go very far Mm -hmm. and so he stays attached for a fair while i don't know exactly it's probably not exactly the same for each bat but they stay attached for a fair while and uh Then the mother and the young quickly learn each other's scent and voice. And after that, this pup joins a cluster of up to five hundred pups in a square foot. What? And there are thousands of square feet covered by pups in a cave like Bracken Cave.
0: Oh my God.
1: Now you can you imagine being a mom trying to find Uh. your baby.
0: This is like like a music festival like Coachella, but it's like sixty thousand babies, and you'd have to find your baby. right. That's a nightmare
1: well <laughs> and, and and you got all these other pups calling the same you know calling their moms and all these moms calling back to their pups. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was watching these things happen, there would be thousands of adults flying by, and all of a sudden you'd see one pup rear up and vocalize. And then you'd see one of the adults turn and come back and come back to that one.
0: Wow. I know you want to know what a free-tailed bat sounds like, so... Also, Merlin says that they produce more milk for their size than a Jersey cow would because the pups need to grow fast and they're burning up so much energy clinging to a cold cave wall while their moms are out munching mosquitoes. Can you imagine having a 40-pound baby and then the next day that baby was able to cling to a rock face while you maneuvered like a fighter pilot in the sky using only your hands? Bats make humans look like earthbound, leaky bags of garbage. Uh, how long does it take a bat to learn how to fly?
1: Well, it's believed that I, I know for gray bats, they can probably start flying in within 19 days or so. Oh, okay. But uh, the free-tailed bats have longer, narrower wings. They're They're more like little jets. As I pointed out, they can go cruise at 100 nearly 100 miles an hour with tailwinds oh my god so with those jet-like narrow wings it undoubtedly takes longer to learn to fly but just imagine the problems faced by a young bat as it learns to fly you're down in a pitch dark cave they're Thousands, probably tens of thousands, of other bats flying at the same time. Many of those are beginners like you. How would you like to go out to the airport and learn to fly with a whole bunch of other beginner (laughs) pilots trying to take practice takeoffs and landings?
0: Is that why they say bat out of hell? Just get me out of there!
1: (laughs) And here's the thing: a pilot gets to practice on a nice long horizontal runway where. You know, if he, even if he's 100 yards off, he's probably still okay. Mm-hmm. These bats, from the moment a pup first drops from the ceiling to practice its first flight, it's going to be moving at 10 to 30 feet per second.
2: Gravity sucks.
1: In that first flight, the cave is only about 60 feet wide, so within a, within a couple seconds, he's on a direct collision course with the proverbial brick wall.
0: Oh, these
1: And he has to make that flight while avoiding multiple potentially fatal collisions per second. He has to do a perfectly timed barrel roll and with millimeter per split second precision get his feet out front to grab the wall and not bash his head on the wall.
0: That brings me to a question a lot of listeners had. Do they sleep upside down? How do they sleep while clinging to things? Jude Kenny, Juan Pedro Martinez, Amber Cooper, Heather Circle, and Laura Desbebeck all wanted to know about this hanging from the feet situation.
1: They have a real cool system where the uh, tendons lock. When, When you pull down on the claws hanging to the ceiling, that tends to lock the tendons so they don't use any energy hanging on.
0: Wow. So it takes energy for the bat to open its talons. So it opens them, finds a spot to grip, and then when it relaxes, hanging by its own weight clamps those talons closed. And then it's upside down, night-night for the sky fuzzies. So it's kind of like putting a... You remember those things you'd put on your car steering wheel, the club? You just like yeah. lock it on and yeah. then there it is. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I always wondered that because it always seems like once you relaxed and slept you just go
1: well and people also ask a lot why doesn't the blood all rush to their heads
0: yeah why doesn't it
1: the better case is why doesn't the blood rush to our feet
0: that's a good question
1: (laughs) what happens when all of a sudden you feel faint
0: Mm -hmm.
1: get your head down
0: right So
1: so we're the ones that ought to be explaining what the problem is. That's a very good,
0: (laughs) yeah. And when you lose enough blood to your head, such as, for example, by being spun in a giant centrifuge, your noggin is like, yeah, nope. I can't brain right now, and things go dark. But bats are like, watch this. I have so much blood in my smush face right now, I'm headed to Dreamtown to get some Zs with 400,000 of my closest friends farting grasshoppers on me. Speaking of large populations, a few of you, including Aub 7.0, wanted to know how big these pajama parties get. Bailey Good wants to know, where in the world is the largest population of bats?
1: The largest remaining known population is at Bracken Cave, just 20 miles from the center of San Antonio.
0: Oh, so Texas. So,
1: And I'm very proud to report that after some 20 years of working with many others to do it, I managed to lead the charge that got that cave protected with hundreds of, actually several thousand acres around it as a nature reserve.
0: That is amazing to think that there are so many bats in existence that wouldn't be here without you.
1: It's still one of my all-time favorite places on the planet. It is just an incredible experience to see that many bats come out of anything. I Mm -hmm. mean...
0: How many bats? Some estimates are around 15 million bats. That's like the population of humans in Los Angeles, all in one cave system. And when they emerge at night to feed, it's like a winged commute hour on the 405, but flappier, way more beautiful, and no honking. Speaking of, what about urban bats? O.J. Carrasco, Bryn Bell, Joyce Gee, Ellie V, and Michelle L. Pagram all asked how bats live in cities, and a bunch of Austin-based, or at least Austin-loving folks, such as Anna Thompson, Nathan Wilgroth, Jonathan Harden, Ruby Ostrich, Chelsea Craft, Courtney Ross, Brianne Wharton, Jackie and Ian, Friend to bats, Derek Allen, hi. First-time question submitter, Gail Rosen, Michelle Lee, and Sarah Hewitt wanted to know about the Congress Bridge and why it's so great for bat-watching, particularly in the spring and the late summer.
1: It, it's really spectacular just to come to our bridge at yeah. Congress Avenue Bridge.
0: Yeah, Julie Noble, uh, who I believe... Julie Noble said, OMG, talk about the Bat Bridge, please. That is all.
1: (laughs) If you go to the Congress, if you go to my website again, Mm merlintuttle.org, go to my photo gallery, it's divided into catching prey, rearing young, all those kind of things. Go to the subsection called Emergences, and you'll see some of my pictures of the huge numbers coming out of the Congress Avenue Bridge and how close they are to people without anybody ever being harmed.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the reason Austin is known as the largest urban bat colony is because of Merlin Tuttle. Because of Merlin. So when the Congress Avenue Bridge was reconstructed in 1980, the underside happened to be perfect for roosting, but the city was not into having millions of bats in its midst. And Merlin, who was a founder of Bat Conservation International until his retirement, thought that Austin was perfect for a perceptual makeover of the beleaguered bat. Now, over a million, maybe up to a million and a half Mexican free-tail bats emerge from the bridge during peak bat season. They eat 10 to 30,000 insects a day. They bring in millions of dollars a year from bat tourism. Merlin Tuttle, ladies and gents, Merlin Tuttle. One kid brings a dead bat to school and the world is forever changed. Now, this next question was asked by my pal, Dr. Johansson of PBS fame. Um, Dr. Johansson wanted to know about the Chiropdorium.
1: Yes. David Bamberger built that uh, out toward Johnson City in Texas. Mm -hmm. He was a rancher who uh, joined my board of directors years ago when I first got involved in bat conservation, Mm -hmm. and he worked helping us with Protect Bracken Cave. And one day he said, Merlin, you know, I don't have any caves on my ranch, but I'd sure like to have something, you know, where I could show people bats on my ranch. You think we could build a cave or something that bats would come to? And I said, yeah. I said, you know, there are abandoned mines and railroad tunnels and things all across America that big bat colonies have moved into. Cool. If we build it right to come up with the proper range of temperature, the bats will probably come. So he hired a really good, uh, engineer, architect, whatever the combo should be. And I designed what, what it should be like to get the right temperature and darkness for the bats. And the engineer architect designed something that wouldn't fall down. <laughs> and, uh, so then he named it the chiroptorium and, uh, it's interesting. I told him to watch out that when the bats first came, don't go running in to see them because they might give you a bad report and not come back for a while. Because those first ones be scouts. Well, he ran in to see them, oh. and they left and oh. didn't come back for a while.
0: Don't be sad. Don't be sad. Don't be sad. It turned out okay.
1: But uh, he now has between half a million and a million bats there in that it's a totally artificial cave.
0: Wow, does he get to claim them as dependents on his taxes or pets? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> um, I'll
1: tell you what he does do now. Hmm. He he goes in once, once uh, at least. Last time I talked to him, he was going to start this, going in once a year with a front end loader on a uh, small tractor and uh, harvesting the guano and using it on his ranch.
0: Oh yeah, <clears throat> so a ton of people had questions about that. Okay, so when it came to bats, a lot of folks on Patreon wanted to talk shit. And by that, I mean they had guano questions. Such as Julie Bear, who brought it to my attention that bat guano is used as a sculptural medium. Thank you, Julie Bear. Wow. Okay. Wow. Also, there were other questions about guano's safety and uses asked by Squark, Teresa Bossa Anne Valerie, Tyron Hawk, Devin Robertson, Aaron Ryan, Morgan Schulte, and... Emmanuel Sanchez wants to know how dirty and unsafe is guano really and is that a myth that guano is unsafe well
1: i don't know that anything can be said to be safe
0: right (laughs) for
1: example i point out when people tell me how dangerous bats are because one and a half people persons a year in the u.s and canada combined die of bat rabies Mm -hmm. and i point out that 20 to 40 times that number, die of dog attacks every year. Mm-hmm. And then I say, but before anybody thinks I'm prejudiced and advocating against dogs, let me just point out that we still love our wives and spouses, but our spouses kill us off at the rate of over a 1,000 times what die of bat rabies.
0: Oh, man, that's a good point.
1: So, I mean, anything we do has some risk. hmm Probably the biggest risk we all take every day is getting in our car and driving to work, but we don't think of it as a risk because we do it every day. Mm-hmm. And so if you ask if something you know, has any risk, I have a hard time with that because there's nothing that doesn't have a risk.
2: Yeah.
1: What I can say is I personally have more than once sat and eaten lunch on an old dried-up guano pile in a cave. Oh, no. In a, in a winter cave, that's the warmest place to seat yourself because it insulates you from the hard rock that's colder.
0: Would Indiana Jones be tough enough to sit on a guano pile? No freaking way.
1: I rarely think about needing to take extra precautions to sterilize my hands when I come out of a bat cave. But I can tell you I'm almost religious about coming home and washing my hands carefully after I've been to see a doctor in a hospital. yeah. I mean the most dangerous animal on this planet for you to meet and get a disease from is another human.
0: Going on a date is probably way more dangerous than sitting on a pile of dried guano. <laughs> what about what kind of boots do you need if you're mucking through caves? What kind of boots? You must have a favorite kind. No. No.
1: Just any sturdy hiking boot.
0: All right. I I figured you'd need some kind of knee-high rubber waders.
1: Now, if I'm going in Bracken Cave or one like that that has millions of free-tail bats living near the entrance where they attract domestic beetles, mm-hmm. then I'll wear rubber, almost high, almost knee-high boots to keep the domestic insects from climbing up and biting me.
0: Okay, let's talk about bats inside your house, which was on a lot of your minds. Lauren Kelly, first time question asker, Evan Jude, Donna Sue, Oregonian Wesley Winks, Enrique Sarmiento, and Julie Noble, who, side note, Julie Noble dressed as me for Halloween week at her office and carried a number one dad mug. And I saw a picture and it made my whole damn day. Anyway, this is a hot topic, bats inside your house. Michelle Lee and a few other people had this question, which was so great. Um, recently, a bat found its way into a friend's living room, and a lot of time was spent trying to chase it out a door window. My question, what is the best way to guide a bat outside without hurting it?
2: Jesus, you- Catch him, Daddy. Catch him. There's two bats.
1: I guess the first thing I'd suggest, if it's not too difficult, would be to open the doors and windows to the outside and shut off all doors to the rest of the house lower the lights to a level where it's not real bright but don't turn them out to where you can't see the bat Uh one of the worst mistakes people make i can't tell you how many times i've had this call where somebody calls me and and they saw a bat and they fled the house to go get help Mm -hmm. they come back and nobody can find the bat so they have no idea if it left (laughs) on its own they have no idea if it's still there and i've seen people you know, move out of their house for a week because they didn't know if the bat was still there.
2: No, no. (laughs) The
1: bat is not going to attack you. If you're in the room with a bat, you will have the feeling that it might be trying to attack you because here's why.
0: Aeronautics nerds, open your big bat ears because this is some good stuff.
1: Picture yourself as piloting a small aircraft and you fly up to a dead-end corner. You have to turn around do a u-turn to get out of it
2: mm-hmm.
1: when you do that you drop your airspeed to just about zero and you start falling mm-hmm. so you have to s- swoop down at a fairly sharp angle to regain flight speed and and be able to continue flying so if you're in the middle of that room and the bat's going back and forth the corners trying to find a way out and he's swooping down each time to regain flight speed you know what this happens in in a room like that it happens with mosquitoes and things let's say you're outside used to happen here in austin people used to report all the time about being attacked and barely escaping a bat in my first question did he actually get you no no i was real lucky (laughs) well how do you know he wasn't chasing a mosquito and you flew before and you ran away before you found out that he wasn't after you oh could that be possible (laughs) And I've even investigated cases where they got scratched on a rose bush on the way to their house, fleeing the bat, and then went and got their rabies shots because the bat actually got them. Oh, no. I've investigated maulings.
0: Ooh, get ready for the story. Oh, my word. Oh, my word.
1: A Tennessee Valley Authority dam in Alabama Mm -hmm. shut down one time because the workers wouldn't go to work because the guy had been mauled by a bat in the dam. Mauled? Mauled. They're tiny. They called, and I had a consulting contract with them at the time. They insisted on me coming down and settling problems. Mm -hmm. And I said, there's no need for me to come down. It's inconceivable that this guy got mauled by a bat.
2: Inconceivable.
1: You know, there's another explanation. You don't need me to come up with that. Oh, no, no, nobody's going to believe this until we get somebody, an expert, down here. So I get down there, and the guy... Has very little real skin left from about his elbow halfway to his wrist down his arm i mean it's just almost raw flesh It's really a mess it's obvious something did a hell of a job on him yeah but at a glance i knew there was no bat in the world could or could or would have done that yeah so i wanted to get somebody to take me down to show me the scene of the crime and oh god it was terrible trying to get somebody to volunteer to go with even me But finally, we went down. What happens? They had lockers. And when they come to work, they put their private things in a locker. Well, this guy had left his locker open while he didn't hang in it during the night. The bat ended up going into finding the locker and going to sleep in there. The guy comes in in the morning, reaches in to do something. The bat panics and tries to fly out. The guy thinks he's being attacked. Yanks his arm out, and the top of that Locker looked like a damn Saw blade. Oh, my God. It hadn't been finished properly, and you could still see his skin hanging on the oh. On the Top of the locker. No. And, and the funny thing Was, after all that You know, at first, they had to practically Restrain him. He was so mad he was going to attack Me for doubting his story. And then, when it was Even clear to him What had happened, then he was really blankety-blanked off at his medical doctor for being so stupid as to believe his story and give him rabies shots.
0: <laughs> Did they finish his locker properly? Put some duct tape on it or something?
1: Well, I left at that point. I'd solved the immediate problem. <laughs> You're like, My work here is
0: done. Batman out. <laughs> One question was understandably echoed over and over by folks such as Heather Circle, Elizabeth Illion, Elizabeth McLaughlin, Amanda Rivera, D.P. Narvison, Raymond J. Dodge Hale Hullings, Bob Clark, Georgia, Heidi Stushnoff, Karina Peterson, Gwen Bode, Melissa Cowan, Tanji Goat, Erica Smith, and Katie Thronberg, who asked variations of, Why on earth are they so darn cute? Why are bats so stinking cute? Are bats not the cutest? Why are bats so darn cute? Why are they so dang cute? And Katie's question, why do they look so cute in diapers slash little blanket burritos? Bats, you want to know why they're cute? It's a great question. Uh, A few people asked why they look so cute when they're wearing little blanket burritos. And just why, in general, bats are so cute.
1: Well, the bats are thinking, look, so cute, those are baby flying foxes. (laughs) And... Remember we talked about whether fly, whether some bats might be primates or not? Mm-hmm. Flying foxes have faces that look just like lemurs that are primates. <gasps> In fact, leading experts have before mistaken bat flying fox skulls for lemur skulls.
0: Oh, my gosh. So we're seeing baby primates, and, and we're identifying <laughs> with them.
1: <laughs> and they've got big eyes and fox-like faces, and... You know most most flying fox posts mine they're they're just about as cute as anybody who thinks they're not cute just has a hard time seeing cuteness. <laughs> I mean they're as cute as any panda gotta be, it's but they wrap those in little towels because they're more comfortable that way. Their mama normally keeps them wrapped in her wing mm-hmm. and they actually feel more comfortable when they're wrapped in a towel like that, mm-hmm. and so that's the way they keep them
0: bat baby burritos (laughs) uh paul D. simmons had a great question is there any evidence that our modern technological environment with its noise electromagnetism radar is messing with the bats ability to navigate
1: we don't know there are so many things we don't know that it's just absolutely terrifying and Mm -hmm. some of them pertain equally or more to us one thing that hasn't come up here is what we don't know about what's happening with all the pesticides we're spraying on the world because we're losing bats and other insectivorous animals that once kept insects in check
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the united states alone we now use approximately a billion tons of pesticides annually that's all coming back into our food and water mm-hmm. and i tell people you know it start paying a lot more attention to natural controls like bats if you don't want to spend a whole lot more risk on pesticides killing you
0: will people having bat boxes in their backyard or in their you know the top of their house will that help the bat population at all
1: yes it will in fact where we we mentioned the fungus white that causes white nose syndrome -hmm. Where that has already passed through and killed off a large number of bats. Several states are using relying on people's backyard bat houses to monitor recovery of the species.
0: Oh wow. And so if you have that, you know, as a hospitable measure, then researchers can come and take a look and see how many people are how many little bats are nesting in there.
1: I mean I I personally help monitor a site in New York where we know that for Like five or ten years at least, they this family had at least 1200 bats every year in their bat houses, and then, uh, as after white nose syndrome passed, they only had 40. Oh, wow! But now they're rebuilding, and I believe I can't remember this year, they're up toward 200.
0: I bet. And now, what about someone who wanted to go see a bat or go bat? Scoping or what's the best time to see a bat and just enjoy a bat? What kind of, what kind of good binoculars or night vision or where should you sit? How do you, my, my mom and dad have some bats. They've named them Vlad. Um, they call them all Vlad, but they come out at dusk and they wait and watch on the porch and they're, they're so excited to see them when they come out. But if maybe you don't even realize your neighborhood has bats because you think they're night sparrows, like how do you see a bat?
1: I have spoken to so many people who will tell me with amazement, you know, I've lived in my neighborhood for 20 years and I've never seen a bat. And then I heard you speak the other night and now I see bats. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's just a matter of looking at the right time. Give me a break. I got
2: to run to the
0: gym. Oh, yeah, yeah. No worries. Thank you so much for talking to me. (laughs) I love that. (laughs)
2: Okay.
0: Okay, so at this point, two hours in, we both needed a little intermission, a bathroom break, a sip of water, so I figured this is a good time to stop and make you wait a week for more Merlin. In the meanwhile, ask the smartest people, the stupidest questions. Not only will you know more about what's snoozing in crevices and fluttering overhead, you'll also come away with some pretty boss life advice. Now, this conversation was so great, it warranted a follow-up. And so next week, we will continue part two of Chiropterology with Merlin Tuttle. I swear he has more stories from the field that will boggle you and dazzle you. Meanwhile, you can find him at merlintuttle.org. He is on Instagram. He is on Twitter. The links will be in the show notes. Follow him immediately. He is one of my favorite presences on social media. Bats for days and literally the best pictures that anyone has ever captured of them. Okay, links in the show notes. Now, if you need any ologies merch, you can find it at allyward.com. Thank you, Shannon Feltes and Bonnie Dutch for helping manage that and do check out their comedy podcast. You are that. I am their guest this week, talking all things Halloween, making some confessions I'll probably regret. So that is You Are That. Also, another wonderful podcast started by an ologist is sports and performance psychologist Dr. Sari Shepard's brand new Manage the Moment podcast, which you can find Anywhere you get podcasts, I'll be her guest on November 25th, so subscribe to that now. Um, thank you to Erin Talbert and Hannah Lippo, who admin the Facebook Ologies podcast group. Hello to the non-Facebook folk subredditors out there. Thank you to Emily White and all the Ologies transcribers in that Facebook group, helping to make transcripts available. Those are at AllieWard.com slash Ologies dash Extras. Link in the show notes. Thank you to Jared Sleeper for all the assistant editing. And of course, to the human equivalent of a bat burrito, Stephen Ray Morris, who puts all the pieces together each week. Uh, Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme music and stay tuned next week for more Adventures in Bats with Dr. Merlin Tuttle. You know, if you stick around to the end of the episode, though, I will tell you a secret. And this week, the secret is uh, I was once dating this musician who had like long musician hair and we were hanging out at dusk near a lake, just admiring the view. All of a sudden, this huge butterfly flew close to his long musician hair. And he was like, whoa, that was a big-ass butterfly. And I was like, bro, that was a bat. And he did not like that information. But bats in general are not trying to eat anyone's hair. There was probably just a bug over his head. But anyway, later on, this boyfriend didn't like that at parties, I would bounce around and say hello to various friends. And so once we were in a fight and he wrote a scathing song about me called social bat because I was like a social butterfly, but larger because I talked to too many people at parties. Anyway, I think. He wanted me to be offended. But, you know, joke's on him, because bats are cool as hell. Anyway, we're still buddies. He's a wonderful person, and I maybe I'll work on getting you a clip for next week's part two of Chiropterology with Merlin Tuttle. Maybe I can throw in a little social bat in there. Anyway, I will also be in Austin this coming week, again, on Sunday and Monday, shooting a story for CBS for Innovation Nation. Per- I don't know where we're staying, but perhaps I could meet y'all on a bridge. I have no idea. Maybe stay tuned. You can follow along at Instagram.com slash ologies and I will probably post something there or on the ologies Twitter. All right. Okay. Stay tuned for next week. It's so good. All right. Bye-bye.